0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Alright, well if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 11. As we continue our journey through Luke, we come to a section now in which uh, we have 13 verses designated uh, to prayer. You know, as I mentioned to you guys before, and it's kind of good to know the way that we have the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew primarily presents Jesus as the King of the Jews. Mark presents Jesus as a slave a servant in an empire where there were 60 million slaves to identify with them. John definitely presents Jesus as the Son of God, God the Son, you know, and his deity. But Luke, in one sense, presents Jesus in his humanity. And, you know, he shows us how to live as a human being. And that's why when you read through the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that you'll find emphasized throughout uh, Luke's Gospel is the prayer life of Christ. You know, because Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. He kind of laid that aside. He never lost his deity. But what he did is he laid aside those privileges and he walked as a man. And one of the things you'll find in walking as a man, just like us, is that he depended upon his father. He would spend time in prayer. You know, And, and he shows us how to live. You know, it's so important for us in life that we really, we conquer this, that we overcome this struggle, that you and I become a people of prayer, that we set aside those times just like Jesus did to go and to get on our knees, to get on our face, to stand before the Lord or sit, however it is that you spend that time with the Lord and and you pray. Because I think the disciples saw, and we'll see, as we enter into that type of lifestyle, that that right there is the key to life. Not only will it grant you the desires of your heart, which is such a beautiful thought when you think about it, but it allows you and I to spend time with God. And to me, it's just a wonderful thing. And I bet, I'll bet bet that's where the Lord was at as well. He just loved spending time with his Father. And so we're going to go through our text today in verses 1 through 13. And the first thing we'll see in one sense is, regarding prayer and this is not exhaustive but in one sense i think there's a foundation here in verses one through four because look what it says it says now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray as john also taught his disciples you know, when you read this verse right here, I think it's so cool to see how the Lord fans the flame, how the Lord kind of stirs up the desire of the disciples to pray, not necessarily by demanding prayer, but by demonstrating prayer. You know, in those days the rabbis would teach their followers how to pray. We know John did that. And here we see that Jesus in this whole thing, thank you, Henry. He uh he he lives that life. The disciples see that as the key to his life. And so rather than saying, Lord, teach me how to teach or teach me how to preach or teach me how to reach, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, we know that Jesus was praying often in the Gospel of Luke, again, emphasizing his humanity. The disciples see this as the core, the key to his life. And so we read in verse two that he said to them, Now, we know that Jesus had already taught this prayer years earlier in his ministry. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. There you will find pretty much the same thing. But here we see him repeat it at the request of his disciples. We read again in verse 2 he said to them, When you pray, say. Now, the account over in Matthew chapter 6, it says, In this manner, therefore praying. So a question for you guys. Because I know a lot of us here have come from maybe a Catholic background, right? And, you know, when you were Catholic, when we were there, we learned this prayer, not just Catholics, it's also Protestants, right? That have that in their heart, they memorized it. How many of you guys know this prayer by heart, just out of curiosity, right? You know, that's beautiful, it really is. But I would venture to say that there's a lot of you here that as Christians now, You no longer pray this prayer. You know, somewhere along the line, someone told you that you're not supposed to do that. And you know what? When I was reading this and as I was studying this, I thought, you know what, Lord? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. You know, the problem I think with us a lot of times is that when we memorize a prayer, a lot of times, and especially prior to becoming Christians, you know, it was meaningless to us. It was kind of like a meaningless mantra you know, there's so much here, and if we wanted to, we could dissect it. Warren Grisby has a wonderful book just on this prayer. It's an awesome book, if you can. But you know what? I, I want to just add to that, that there's nothing wrong with just praying this prayer, as long as it's a fresh fire, as long as you mean it from your heart. I mean, the Lord said, Greek word is lego, when you pray, say. And then he gave us this, this model prayer. And think about it. You know, there's a lot of things in this prayer that I think we as Christians need to constantly contemplate. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, exalting the name of our God, of our Father. What a beautiful relationship that we have. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here's thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's that Maranatha. There's that constant, you know, contemplation on our father, on reverencing God, exalting his name, on seeking his return so that he can set up his kingdom on earth, literally there in Jerusalem. And man, setting up his kingdom in our heart. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, there's things that we need, you know, and I know that we know that we don't get any meals uh, unless it comes from the hand of God. When you pray, you guys, how, when you guys have lunch and, and dinner and breakfast, do you guys pray before you eat just out of curiosity? Because if not, you're, you know, you're bad sinners, right? <laughs> And we pray, and it's not just a formality, at least it shouldn't be, right? We pray because we know that everything comes from him. He knows our needs. Now, this could be just physical. I I believe it's probably both physical and spiritual, right? But everything comes from him. Lord, you know our needs. And Lord, here it is. You know one of our greatest needs is to be forgiven. Lord, because there's no one who does not sin against you. Lord, there's things in my life that I'm aware of, that you're putting your finger on, that you're identifying so clearly my sins, the way I treated my wife, the way I treated my kids, the way I've neglected, maybe my quiet time with you, the pride that creeps in, sometimes the anger. I mean, there's so many things that that we don't clean up. You know, and that's why it's so cool, you guys, to be able to pray this prayer, because in, in one sense, it's like real quickly, you're going over things that are so important our Father, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you're exalting him the way he should be exalted. See, and you're just real quick, you're going over these things. Your kingdom come. Jesus, I cannot wait. Maranatha, for you to come, and maybe it'll be today, your will be done. Not mine, yours, on earth, just like it is in heaven, Lord. And give us this day our, our daily bread, and, and forgive us of our sins. And then you can even spend time right there, just you know, searching your heart. One of the sins I think a lot of us struggle with is maybe even forgiving others. And so Jesus even puts that in the model prayer right there. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Because a lot of times that gets in the way. And that's a very important principle in the kingdom of God. The Lord said, and it's kind of a mysterious thing. I won't forgive you unless you forgive others a real heavy thing and so we search our hearts and we cleanse our hearts and the lord said if you come to the altar and you're so excited because you've got this wonderful sacrifice and you remember that there's someone that you have something against you they've done a wrong to you you go you get it right and then you come back see it's so beautiful and i know for me this right here was kind of an eye-opener you know because um I was one of those that thought, well, you can't pray this prayer because that's just, you know, taboo. And, and, and you know, uh, because I just kind of thought that, you know, that that's just wrong. It's a meaningless mantra. But I'm learning more and more that memorized prayers are not always bad as long as they come from your heart. You guys remember the act of contrition? Do you guys remember that one? That's a beautiful prayer. Okay, now I'm not telling you to go backwards or anything. Don't get me wrong, okay? I have a really neat book in my library. i keep wanting to bring it out. If you come back for third service, I'll have it for you, okay? (laughs) But um, it's a really neat book of one prayer for each day. beautiful, beautiful book. Nothing wrong with that. The main thing is that now that as we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, it means so much more. I mean, it means everything. Lord, forgive me. Because a lot of times we'll go through our prayers and we won't even think about stuff like this. And the Lord just brings the the main things to heart. He lays down that foundation. In verse 4, And do not lead us into temptation, but Lord, deliver us from the evil one. You know, who knows what's going to happen today? You start your day, it's a Monday, you think it's just nothing's going to happen. And who knows what the devil has planned for you. Do you know? I don't know. This might be a day that will change everything. That's why we can never go out on our day without having first checked in with our God and putting on our armor. Because I'll tell you what, I am no match for the devil. And neither is are you. You know, the Lord came to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Today's the day, Peter. Today's the day that you need to pray. You know, and that's why it's such a beautiful prayer. Lord, I know you won't lead us into temptation. God never does that. James chapter 1, it talks about that. You know, we follow the enemy a lot of times because our flesh wants that. And that's why it's so important for us to check in with God. You see, right here we see God, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving us in one sense a foundational prayer. And I'm not saying that you have to pray this prayer. And one of the things I encourage you to do, be careful, you know, you don't do 10 our fathers and that type of thing, you know, but I would encourage you to, to be open to, you know, praying this type of prayer when it comes from your heart. And just knowing that that's really the main thing, because there are some principles here that are very important for us to constantly bring before the Lord. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, and he gave us that, you know, And so there's the foundation there. And then we see in verse 5 the illustration. Look what he says. He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. You see, I know how important prayer is. I know that the Lord tries to communicate that to us and he demonstrated that and it stirred up the desire within the disciples. And so they asked him to teach them to pray, not in a demanding form, but in a demonstrating form. They came to the Lord because they saw that in his life and he gave them some words. But but it's kind of cool right here. What he does now is he moves from the foundation to the illustration and you know how it is for those of you guys who teach the Bible, it's kind of a funny thing. A lot of times the illustrations are the only things they remember. <laughs> you know, the, oh, I remember you told that story. And it's so cool though, because it's all right, I guess, in one sense. You know, but as long as you remember the meaning of the story. And so the Lord here, he gives a story. And what he tells them is that basically when you pray, this is the way that you, I want you to see it. You see, Jesus says, imagine that there you are in your neighbor who... Also happens to be your friend. He comes over at midnight and he's pounding on the door. What happened was he had some unexpected company from out of town and they have no bread to offer them. And these guys are asking for peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And so, you know, there he is pounding on the door, pounding on the door, pounding on the door. You know, you got to remember also that in this culture and in this time, hospitality was huge. I read in one commentary, they said that it was so huge that if they refused, you know, to take care of these people, if they had nothing to give to them, we see that in John chapter 2 kind of as well. But you, it would basically mean that this family would kind of be marked. And so, it, you know, it's kind of a pressing issue here. But, you know, there they are. They come at midnight. You and your family are crashed out. You know, you're all together in your one-bedroom apartment. And, you know, at first, what do you do? Okay, we pretend we don't hear them, Right. That's what we do at first, right? And so you whisper to your family, listen, don't make a noise. You know, maybe they'll leave, right? Uh, But what ends up happening, this neighbor does not leave. They keep pounding on the door. I know you're in there, you know? And they're persistent in their knocks. They have no shame, which is really the Greek word here. This word right here doesn't just mean persistent. It means unashamed. We're going to see that's important as we go through our study today. But, you know, there they are. They're persistent. And so what do you do? You kind of get up and you speak on the other side of the door. What's up? We're asleep. Come back tomorrow. (laughs) But they don't just knock. They talk and they tell you their dilemma. And they say, hey, friends, come over. We don't have any bread. Can you help us out? And so what do you do? Well, Jesus here knows what we would do. You get up, you're a little surprised that they would have the audacity to do that, but you end up giving them some bread, not simply because they're your friends, but primarily because you want to go back to bed, right? And what ends up happening is this, that their unashamed, persistent prayer got them what they wanted. It says right there in verse 8, it's interesting, as many as he needs. Interesting, and so the Lord here, he gives that illustration and then he makes the application in verse nine. so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. You see, that's what the Lord says. Listen, you guys, I'm telling you some words regarding a prayer and i want to give you illustration about the prayer. But this is what you have to do. You and I must take this home. And begin to pray like this guy prayed. And we know in the literally in the Greek language, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You know, sometimes you guys, it's a crazy thing. We do not have because we have not asked. You know, so James chapter 4 verse 2 says, the reason that you don't have what you need, the reason why their lives aren't being changed, the reason why, you know, you find yourself in whatever the struggle is, is simply because you have not asked. But then this Greek word right here is an interesting word, because actually there's four different Greek words for ask. This particular word usually refers to asking for something to be given, rather than to be done. Basically, what you're saying is, God, I need what only you can give me. And that's the type of God that we have. He's the one who has the ability to grant us those things. He's the one who has the heart to grant us those things. But all he's doing is he's waiting for us to come and to ask like this. Say, I say to you, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, this is what he's saying. When it comes to prayer, don't be a splitter. Don't be a quitter. You pray repeatedly, unashamedly, almost unreservedly. What a difference it will make in our life if we can follow after the footsteps of Jesus and become a Christian really believing, really receiving, knowing that our God is so good, willing to grant us the desires of our heart. Now, again, this doesn't mean we get what we want when we want it. Jesus is not a genie. He's not teaching name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. We know that's not what's going on right here, right? Jesus is not teaching the word faith, false teachers, doctrine. He's not saying to be insistent, but he is saying to be consistent. He is saying to be persistent. He is talking about really believing and really receiving and really praying He's encourages us to to be really looking up. He wants us to have that in our heart by not so easily giving up. Because most people, when they knock on the door, you know, because I've done it. I remember I had jobs. I used to go and sell the LA Times, I think, when I was like 10 years old. I'd go to the houses and knock on doors. And if they don't come after three knocks, then you're out of there, you know. A lot of people, that describes their prayer life. And the Lord is just saying, please, just don't be like that. You see, we have the foundation, some elements in prayer. We have the illustration. God gives us the application and then he gives us the explanation. Because look what it says in verse 10. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And that's a promise from God. You know, if we keep on asking, if we keep on seeking, if we keep on knocking according to His will and in His way and in His timing, He will answer all your prayers, everyone. That's what the Lord Jesus says. Now, one thing that's interesting is the Greek word for receive, lambano. It means to actively accept, it means to take something that's available. To actively accept, to take something that's available. It's different than the other Greek word, which means to passively accept, to receive something that's kind of thrown at you, you know? And that's the way we need to understand prayer works. One person goes on with the misconception, I guess I'll accept it if it's thrown at me. While the praying person, while the believing person says, I see it on God's shelves in his gracious cupboard of Christianity. And Lord, I'm asking you, you know, stretch me, allow me, Lord, to lay hold of that which you have for my life. You see, that's what prayer is. Answered prayer is rooted in great faith. The type of prayer is receiving prayer, finding prayer, opening prayer, you know, receiving the necessities of life, opening doors of opportunities for ministry. Finding the will of God, maybe even finding the face of God. But this is a person who really prays. You know, if you think about it, and I can maybe take that illustration a little further. Let's just say there's a family that needs bread, but this time they're not your neighbor. This time they live somewhere in the local village. And so when the need arises, they look you up in the yellow pages. So there they find it. There's Bob's Bread Shop, right? And that's where you live. That's your business, right? And so what do they do? They call you on the phone. You know, and you're like, well, it's after hours, you know, so you don't answer the phone, right? But the person doesn't give up. What they do is they hop on the computer and they do the MapQuest thing, you know, and they find out where you're located. And even though they've never been there, they get in their car and they, they drive, you know, to find you. And, and then when they when they when they arrive the doors are locked it's after hours but they they don't give up i know you're there i know you're there can you help me and the lord is saying this is the type of prayer that really gets answered it's persistent prayer it's unashamed prayer you know and we see examples in the bible let's look at a few of them real quick if you would just go to matthew chapter 15 Because you're like, okay, Manny, what does this look like? We have a beautiful illustration here in Matthew 15. Look what it says in verse 22. It says, And and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But then he did answer, and he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, imagine that was you, and here you have a huge need. Your daughter is severely demon-possessed. And so you come to the Lord and, you know, you you ask him, Lord, you know, please help me. God, I know you can. I know you got the power. Help me. Help me. And he doesn't even answer you. And then you keep crying out. You keep crying out. And then the disciples, supposedly the followers of Christ, all these guys are like the holy rollers. They say, tell her to go away. What would you do? I think for a lot of us here, we would probably then give up. Those are those times when we pray, and have you guys ever had this happen to you, and it gets worse? Ever done that? <laughs> and you're like, man, there must be something jacked up in my heart, or whatever, God, you know, and that a lot of times, you know, it, it appears as if things are getting worse. But God is working. God is working on them, and God is working on you. And so what does she do? Well, she doesn't give up. This lady is one of the ladies that we're talking about that Jesus is describing. It says in verse 25, then she came and worshipped. I mean, she worshipped him now. Wow. Most of us would be offended, but she came and she worshipped him. And what does she say? She says, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs again a statement that probably could be easily misunderstood and she could take offense at. But she says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And her daughter was healed. You know, and this is a demonstration of the way that we wrestle in prayer. You know, things might get worse and you might be discouraged and and you might want to go away and give up. God says, no, keep praying. Keep believing so that you can be receiving. Here's a great example of prayer. Another one is over in Mark chapter 10, if you would. I love this one too. This guy is so cool. Mark chapter 10 Look what it says in, in verse 46. It says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, his disciples with a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't coming in his own righteousness by any means. He was coming as a man with a desperate need. He was coming not, this time, not praying for his daughter, but praying for himself. And I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of us here, you know, we have so many things going on in our own heart that only we know. And we need to come to the Lord. But one of the things that's so cool about this is I love the way that blind Bartimaeus was just unashamed. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I don't care if people think I'm weird. I am going to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. You now he can't see, you know, and basically he's just, he's just, man, unashamed. You know, kind of like I think God calls us to to do. And I'm not saying you have to do this literally, but maybe you can. You know, there you are in your house, man, and you're praying out loud. Your kids think you're crazy, but that's all right, you know. There you are in your middle of the fellowship, or maybe it's not even a fellowship. Maybe it's a secular event, and somebody tells you about a problem they have right there and right then. You're not ashamed. Let's pray. And right there you pray. It's that unashamed prayer. Lately I've been doing this more. You know, just praying out loud. God, and you know, it's an awesome thing. What ends up happening is as a result of that, here comes the devil again, the discouragement. He just does not want us to pray. He does not want us to cry out. Oh, be quiet. They warned him, it says, to be quiet. But blind Bartimaeus, he cried out even more. And so it says in verse 49, so Jesus stood still. So Jesus stopped in his tracks. Somebody caught his attention. That's kind of the way it works, you know? You you get God's attention because you're unashamedly, unreservedly, repeatedly believing in God. So Jesus, it says, he kind of slows down and he's still. He stood still and he commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man. And they said to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose, he came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And this is so beautiful. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. For the blind to see. Nothing's too big for God. You see, and we learn from this what that asking and and seeking and knocking is, what that persistent prayer is, what that unashamed prayer is. And, you know, they're not just stories for us to say, oh, they're so good. You know, blind Bartimaeus, a Syrophoenician woman. I see that. No, there's stories to change our life. There's stories to change our prayer life. To believe like this. You know, there's one last story. If you want to go back to the book of Genesis. And this one's kind of cool. And it shows a persistence, but it also shows an element, I think, in which we see God. He answers prayers because he sees the deepest part of our heart. He knows what we're really asking for. If you guys remember the story here in Genesis chapter 18, what had happened was um, the Lord came to Abraham with a couple of angels, and they were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. They were going to wipe out... The place, you know, the the Lord actually told Abraham what he was going to do. The Bible says that Abraham was his friend, and we know that friends tell friends secrets. And so, you know, the Lord said Abraham, you know, during their discussion, uh, I'm going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. But right away, what had happened is Abraham's life is in his mind. He said, "Wait a minute, my my nephew's there. My nephew Lot, he lives there with his family." And so, what happened is the the wheels began to turn. And he began to do what? He began to intercede for them. And so it says that the men, in verse 22, they turned away from there and they went towards Sodom. That's the angels. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near. I like that. He came near and he said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? (laughs) Now, you read that, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like Abraham, I don't know, he's he's talking to the Lord, but he's kind of just like basically communicating things that he knows about the Lord. And that's why it's important and it helps you in your prayer life to know the word of God. And so he's kind of like just saying, Lord, I know this is how you are, Lord. And then he begins to intercede. And so it says in verse 26, the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. But Abraham doesn't stop there. It says, Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of five? And so he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again. And suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And he just keeps going, huh? It's kinda of like bartering bargain bargaining with the Lord, you know? I don't know. Let me see if I can get him lower and lower and suppose there should be thirty found there. He says, I will not do it if I find thirty. And he said, indeed now I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry and I will not speak, but once more, suppose ten should be found there, and he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now, when you read the story right here, you know, I don't know for sure. You know, maybe Abraham was really praying for the city. You know, maybe he was just saying, okay, Lord, 50, 45, 40, you know, and going all the way down to 10. Maybe he was praying for the city, but more than likely, what was he really praying for? He's praying for his nephew. Huh. he was praying for Lot. The Lord didn't find ten righteous there. He destroyed the city. But he still, he still answered Abraham's prayer. And he rescued Lot. And that's the beautiful thing about God. You know, we don't know what we're supposed to pray for. Abraham did his best. He thought now Lot was covered. But there were not 10 righteous. But God knew what he was really praying for. And what ends up happening is he rescues his nephew. It's a story of intercession once again. It's a story of an individual asking and seeking and knocking. And God so graciously answering his prayer. Because there's two things we see back in Luke that are part of that answered prayer. One is that we need to have that faith, that great faith. But two we have a wonderful, wonderful father. See? And that's what we read back in Luke chapter 10. He says in verse 11, listen, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, answered prayer is rooted in great faith, but answered prayer is primarily rooted in the greatness of our Father. You know, and Jesus closes this section with this, and He tells us, listen, for us as moms and dads, as parents, as gift givers, if a child asks for bread, we're not going to give them a rock, Right? I mean, most of us here would probably even go to Panera and get him some real soft bread, you know, right out of the oven, right? I mean, that's the way we are. You know, if our little boy asked us for a tuna sandwich, we would never think of sticking the snake on him, right? (laughs) Can you imagine our little girl? Daddy, can you give me a scrambled egg? Here's a scorpion, you know? I mean, we would never do that, right? Here you go, Mija. No, Jesus says how ridiculous that is. None of you as parents or gift givers would do that. And the point that the Lord is making here is that, listen, if you do that as fallen fathers, as marred mother, mothers, imagine what kind of gift giver that God is. See, and we've got to catch that. You know, we're asking for bread and we're asking for, you know, a fish and we're asking, you know, for these things that we're asking for. And the Lord is saying, listen, your heavenly father, he's so good. And he's going to answer your cry. He's all good, and he's an excellent gift giver. Ultimately, what do we really need? See, that's what he looks at. You know, and here in Luke, he kind of emphasizes that, you know, oftentimes, if not all the time, you know, the thing that we really need is the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that as you're going through that trial, It may not be God taking you out of the trial. It may not be God removing you from the fire. But instead, you get Him. You get the Lord. I was talking to some parents earlier today, and they're telling me about the tremendous trials that they're going through with their daughter. And indeed, they are heavy trials. But they shared with me, but it's drawing us closer to God. You see, and that is really the heart that we need to have. You know, and I remember in Acts chapter four, when they had been threatened, they said, listen, don't you guys speak in the name of Jesus anymore. You guys remember the disciples got together and they said, Lord, Lord look on their threats and give us, give us boldness, give us boldness, give us boldness. And what did the Lord give them? You guys remember the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, because that's the way it works. You know, he lives inside of us. And God wants to give us that power. He wants the Holy Spirit to fill us and thus to be under his influence. If you can picture almost like the Lord just coming and strengthening you to face the trials that you're going to face. And that's what we need in life. God's a good, good gift giver. And what we find in life is that as we ask him, we take all our cares and our burdens and our concerns and the desires of our heart. Basically, what the Lord is saying is my son, my daughter, I will give you, I will give you exactly what you need. I will give you exactly who you need. You see, we started off the section with what? Our father, our father, our father. And we close this section of prayer in the same way. He's our father. He's our daddy. And he really is going to take care of us. My encouragement to you today, for us today, is not only, you know, to necessarily, you know, pray in this way. I mean, of course, ask, seek, knock, and all these things, believing and receiving. But man, my encouragement to you today is is to really pray. To really pray. Not only are you going to get things, not only is God going to give you the necessities and opportunities, not only is going to give you those intimacies, But you and I get to spend time with Him. I really don't think, I can think of anything that would be more important than not spending time with the Lord. You know, reading our Bibles, praying, getting ready for the day, spending time with God, and then going out into the highways and byways and valleys and alleys and showing to the world The people, the love of Jesus Christ. And so, man, I pray that God would use this study, use His Word, by His Spirit, make us a people who really pray, who really get on our.